Hello, and welcome to the Bible 101 podcast. We hope you enjoy each episode filled with content all about the Bible. Join us in our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also listen to our roundtable discussions where we discuss major doctrinal themes throughout the Word of the Lord. We hope you also enjoy our Apostolic Apologetic series and interviews. If you have any questions, please email us at BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com. Leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Um, Today we're going to be talking about studying the Bible, and I might actually have a couple of special guests coming in to help me out if that works out. Um, I see that we already have Brother Ross on here. Uh, Brother Ross, are you with us? Yes, sir, Brother Mills. Praise the Lord. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Actually, something I wanted to do today is talk about studying the Bible, and I was going to present some uh, ways that I approach it. And again, I'm not trying to set myself up as the authority, but um, I just wanted to talk about how I study it. And then um, Brother Ross, I'm going to ask you to like, uh, for instance, when you get a thought, um, how you approach that, maybe steps you take to study it. Um, but I'll throw mine out there real quick. And then uh, after, you know, we, we each give our opinions on this. Brother Eric might be joining us as well if he's able to step away. But um, uh, after we talk about how to study it, I'm actually going to take a passage that is hotly debated. And that's the passage on blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Um, and I'm going to actually apply some of these study principles to it and walk through it. And I think this will be very beneficial for a lot of folks. Um, so anyways... We're, we're going to kind of get started on this. Um, let me just give you my steps, and I have here 11 things. Uh, obviously, let's get the obvious ones out of the way. Let's just say, number one, you need to pray, duh, before you yep. read the Bible. And um, a lot of times when you, when you pray, it, it just illuminates the text, because if you ever try to read without praying, you're probably not going to get much out of it. And if you do, it's going to be wrong. <laughs> so... Pray before you read. Second thing is, I like to do this. Um, read the Bible, and as a verse stands out to you, mark it. And yeah. you may have to finish your reading and then come back to it, but that's a good place to start. A lot of times as you're reading the Word of God, God's going to cause a verse to stand out to you for a reason. And so just mark it. And here's some study principles I added. Uh, number one would be, this is actually getting into the study, would be contextual study. And what I'd call this, there's two forms of this. There's the overall context. So um, this is where kind of a study Bible might come in handy because this is where you look into who wrote the book, who they're writing to, uh, the circumstances behind the writing. And this will help you to understand where they're coming from in the first place. So contextual study, that's overall. Then you look at the immediate context. And I like what one man said, the 2020 rule which would be the 20 verses before the 20 verses after. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was kind of interesting because, um, you know, let me just kind of give you a, 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 a quick example here. Um, you know, you could just pick a, a verse out at random 
And you could just say, well, you know, I think this is what it means. But if you're not looking at the context, often your interpretation is going to be totally off the wall. So you have to look at the immediate context. The overall context will help you to understand who's writing what they're writing about, uh, who they're writing to. But then the immediate context is going to help you to understand the circumstances behind what they're saying, previous points that have been made. Because uh, how, how many times have you heard somebody in a debate, you know, quote their opponent and they say, hey, 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 you took me out of context. You weren't listening to what my point really was. You just picked out one little phrase, one little sentence, and that led to a misunderstanding. And this happens in marriage, too, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and so one thing, let me just kind of uh, give you this. You say, well, how do I determine the immediate context? How do I determine when to start reading, when to stop reading? Well, a good principle is to look at the paragraph uh, in its totality. OK, so my my daughter's with me, by the way, so you might actually hear her in the background a little bit. But um, and one of the keys is in the King James Version, many uh, it's not written in paragraph form. A lot of translations are written in paragraph form. Uh, I am a King James Version reader, studier. I love the King James Version. Uh, but one of the things that is done in a lot of uh, King James Bibles is it's something called Pilcrow markers. Brother Ross, do you know what this is? You ever heard of a Pilcrow marker? Well, my first thought, I'm absolutely not absolutely for sure, but I, the first thing that comes to my mind would be your your basic type of highlighters, but only in different colors, perhaps. I'm not sure. Yeah, basically, um, what a lot of them do. There's it, it, what a Pilcrow marker is. It kind of almost looks like a musical note, but like for instance, I'm looking at this Matthew 12. And this is in the Thompson chain. So if you have a Thompson chain Bible, it's for sure in there. But verse 22, it has a little Pilcrow marker next to it. And what uh, that's yeah. telling you is this is where the paragraph starts. Okay. And then uh, as yeah. you move on, it'll give you a, uh, another Pilcrow marker that tells you this is where it stops. And if you, if you use these Pilcrow markers like they're meant to be used, it'll give you a, a hint of, okay, my thought is starting here. And it's ending here and we're moving on to another thought. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Gotcha. Good. Okay. So I found personally that this really helps. Um, also, there are King James Bibles out there that are paragraph form. And uh, one of the ones I have is called the, uh, the uh, Reader's Edition. And basically, it, it, they take the Bible and kind of bring it back to its basics because chapters and verses were added later. So... It, in this one, they remove the verse numbers and it's written in paragraph form. And sometimes it's interesting to read a Bible like this because it'll help you to understand that, you know, uh, chapters helps. I mean, obviously, the preacher can get up and he could say, hey, turn to book of Matthew chapter 12, verse number 32. We're going to read this together. Everybody knows where to turn. The only problem with it is when you're reading it, we tend to read a chapter and then stop read another chapter, the next day, stop. But uh, if you keep reading, a lot of times paragraphs uh, in chapters uh, kind of get in the way of one another. So like a chapter will start when the paragraph is not over. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Yes. And so I like to look at, at the, the overall paragraph to see, you know, what's the overall context, but what's the immediate context. So that's, again, that's all under the heading of contextual study. Another thing is, and I know you'll agree with me on this one, Brother Ross, is word study. This is vital right. yes. because, um, for instance, we'll get into that here in just a minute as I talk about this passage. But 
word study is so important because, um, you know, in the, the King James Version, a lot of words have actually changed in meaning. So you'll read a word and you'll think it means one thing when it actually means something else. Like, for instance, Jesus said, let not your flight be in winter. Well, we think of flight as, you know, oh, you're flying in the sky. But actually, it would be overall back then, flight, the word flight would mean travel. Or it can actually mean other things as well. So word study is very important. You look in, uh, you know, if, if you're just uh, into books, some people don't like using the Internet for study, whatever. But if you're into books, you know, get you a good a Vines expository dictionary or, um, you know, another thing is like the keyword study Bible, which highlights keywords. And then in the back, there's like these Hebrew and Greek uh, word study dictionaries in the back that helps with that. So word study is very important. Number five would be kind of uh, with that. And, you know, hesitatingly, I say this one because uh, this might be a little bit debatable, but um, translation study, because sometimes if you if you read it in the King James and it doesn't really uh, you, you're not really understanding what you're reading, you can use another translation. But I, what I would suggest is use it as commentary, not necessarily as your ultimate authority, because I do believe the King James is the most accurate translation. That's that's my opinion. Uh, but you can use other translations. As I like how Pastor put it one time. He said it's kind of giving you a picture of what the author is saying. So, you know, and the author's God. Um, mm -hmm. But anyways, it, it might kind of help you a little bit. But don't just use one translation. Use multiple translations and compare them. Ultimately, always come back to the King James, but kind of take and compare them. That'll help you to understand the words a little bit more. One thing that I like is like the Amplified uh, is a good backup. Because the Amplified, the reason they call it Amplified is they take a word and they'll, they'll add uh, other words there that go with that word. For instance, let's say like Jesus said, verily, verily, and the Amplified will say something like, verily, verily, truly, truly, uh, most assuredly, I say unto you. So it's like taking and amplifying what he's saying and helping you to understand the emphasis behind it. So that's a good way. Another one is, uh, this would be the next one, parallel passage study. And th this will be like cross-referencing. If you have a study Bible, a lot of them have like cross-references. And so you'll have like, um, you know, it'll say like, for instance, uh, Acts 2.38, and it'll give you a cross-reference to Luke 24.47, or it'll give you something else, you know, Acts 3.19 or whatever. And, and cross-references to me are really good because um, they'll help you to uh, compare certain passages to that passage and realize, hey, the Bible is not... Uh, you know, this this verse is in isolation. It's all written uh, uh, by God. So it all comes together and paints this beautiful picture. So a parallel passage study. Another thing would be character study. So look at the characters involved in their background. Uh, one of the things I'd suggest is like a who's who. Like have you ever seen those Bible books, like who's who of the Bible? Yes. Uh, those are good things. And then another one would be these two might kind of go together, but archaeological study. So like places, items, events. One of the ways you could do this is through like Bible dictionaries or archaeological study Bibles. And another thing would be like historical study. So look at the historical setting. And again, that would be like Bible dictionaries, handbooks. And then uh, just two more, one more thing. And then I'll, I'll back out and let Brother Ross take over here. But uh, commentary, this is a last resort though. And what I, I would say is keep in mind, fallible men wrote this. So find out their doctrinal position before you just use their commentary. Because a lot of times they may be coming from a highly Trinitarian background or uh, belief structure. Or they may even be Jehovah's Witness or something odd out there. So don't just take their words uh, in and of themselves. Find out what their 
uh, doctrinal position is, but you might be able to use bits and pieces. And, and I'm going to get into this, some of that here in a minute. But Brother Ross, what do you have to kind of add to this here? I'm going to speak in generalities about uh, Bible study. The Bible does say study to show, show thyself approved. And a lot of times I think people, you know, think that, well, just a preacher or someone that teaches needs to study the Bible. But I think everyone really should uh, study the Bible. And I think, and I think, you know, I think everyone needs to begin right where you're at spiritually, mentally, what, whatever your current ability is to study, start, start at that level. And, uh, and especially people that are just beginning to study the Bible or maybe someone that's studied the Bible needs a fresh approach. There's, there, you've already made mention of a few, you know, uh, book studies are good, you know, find out what, who, who the book was written to, who it was written by, um, the points that were being made there. Also like uh, chat, you know, I know you mentioned the Bible we have is broken up into chapters, but I think it's good to sometimes do a chapter study that deals with a certain um, uh, uh Subject like First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven deals with love. Hebrew or uh, Hebrews chapter eleven de uh, deals with faith, and so on and so forth. But that leads me into also you can do uh, subject studies, word studies. You mentioned Thompson chain reference is great for that. Um, if you, I'm sure most people out there listening has heard of a Thompson chain reference. If you have, amen to that. If you haven't checked, check it out. I'll be honest. When I first got in church, I wasn't raised in church, didn't have any biblical background at all. Uh, first study Bible I got was a Thompson chain. I still use it to this, this day. If I have a subject in mind, I can go to that Thompson chain. It'll run me all through the Bible <clears throat> on that subject. Uh, you can also do doctrinal, you know, studies on creation. Uh, one God plan of salvation, all those type of doctrinal studies that you can focus on. Um, let's see what, well, I don't have anything written down. Just kind of going by, by what I've done over the topical study might be another yeah, way. Top, I mean, and you just topical, mentioned yeah. the Thompson chain, which is great for that. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. the, the Schofield, I don't like Schofield's notes, but I will say his chain referencing system is good because, um, like for instance, what it'll have is like topics, let's just say creation. Yes. And if you look in the middle column, uh, it'll say first verse dealing with creation, last verse dealing with creation, next passage dealing with creation. So it's kind of a cool way that, uh, you know, he, he did his referencing system. So that's right. I'll right. Bring great, great study Bible. And just to back up a little bit, you kind of made mention of it. N number one, when it comes to doing Bible studies, have a Bible. Number one, a good study Bible if possible. Number two, you mentioned it, prayer. So have your Bible and have your prayer. One thing I would, and you mentioned staying away from some commentaries and, and you know, some study Bibles that it's like Schofield, the notes are very heavily <clears throat> based on Trinity. But I would also stay away from using the Internet for your Bible studies. And there is there is a quite a salad of, uh, of opinions out there and people throwing a lot of stuff out there online. And I would, I would especially people that are beginning to study uh, use your Bible, use prayer, uh, use, uh, the, uh, the, the Strong's concordance or the, yeah, the, let me, let me say this real quick too. Yeah. Cause I mean, I like the point you made about not using the internet actually studies have shown 
that you get more out of a reading experience if you read it in book form than you do Absolutely. if you read it online or if you read it on your tablet. I'm not against reading on the tablet. I mean, I, you know, right. I have a few apps that I use, you know, a little bit for Bible study, but I, I agree with you. There's all kinds of just random stuff out there on the Internet. And I think it's also all right, too, when you're doing these type of study. I mean, get get you a paper and pen and write things down as you study this thing. And you'll be surprised how much more you'll retain. Uh, and, and then and then it's amazing when you study this and you've written things down. It's amazing how the Lord will put you in a situation where you're talking to someone and they'll bring up a subject. And lo and behold, you have studied that you have made notes on it and you can speak to them because you have taken the time to study the Bible and write things down. I think it's another good point to make there. Yes. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But yeah. And and don't also don't be, be afraid if um, you're kind of stuck on something, uh, ask the pastor, ask the others in the church. I know, I know I did when I first got into church and I was trying to study something or understand something. I'd go to someone in the church that was either a preacher or a teacher or been around a while. And I said, what, what, what does this mean? What's this all about? And uh, yeah, by all means, seek out, seek out some understanding from, from those that's been around a while also. So. Yeah, that would be, uh, I, I know brother, uh, Feynman has brought this up several times on the podcast, but obviously um, all revelation should uh, yes. <laughs> be based upon what God teaches through your man of God. So I think we need yes. to go yes. ahead and just establish that right now. That, but right. having understood that, since we've said that plenty of times, uh, obviously personal study, every man of God that's worth his salt is going to encourage you to study on your own. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I would say that, uh, let me just throw another resource out there that's really good. As far as um, cross-referencing, I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. The best cross-reference Bible I have ever seen in my life is one that's so little known about, and that's called the Westminster Reference Bible. Uh, I, I know when I say the name of this company, I'll get some people to grimace, but it's called Trinitarian Bible Society. They sell it. They're the only ones I know of that make it. But I'll say this about it is it has 200,000 cross references and um, I have this and it has two types of cross references. So it'll have like word cross references. So let's say in the beginning, God created, it'll say like created and then they'll have a cross reference for that. And then I'll have another form of cross cross referencing, which is context. So here's all the places where God created something from nothing. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So it'd be like some best sure. off of word, some based off of context. So that's that's a resource I highly recommend. I love that resource. Another thought, too, um, when I'm thinking about it, I've, I've got uh, two or three books myself about some manners and customs of the Bible times, you know, how people really because great, great stuff. Great. Yeah. When, when you when you read a um, a passage of scripture and they're talking about I'm, I'm just arbitrarily thinking of a marriage in the Bible. Well, you have to understand the way the marriages were done back then, and they, and it's not the way it's done today. So, having a a, a good Bible or not a good Bible, but a, a book books that talk about the customs of the Bible, and when you come across something like that, and you can refer to that and understand, it gives you a better understanding of a per- particular passage of scripture of what what that might what might be going on there. Yes, yes, that's excellent. Um, that is kind of the one of the advantages of a study Bible too, 
if you get a good one, uh, because a lot of times I'll have like uh, archaeological notes sprinkled throughout, yes. you know, like yes. topical notes sprinkled throughout, word studies sprinkled throughout. Some of those are really good to 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 get. Um, I will throw out, you know, there, there's a few apostolic resources out there. Uh, I think some of my uh, friends have the Premier Study Bible. I don't, you know, advocate everything in it. But I do like the fact it's got like archaeological notes and stuff like that. That's good stuff. Yes. Um, also, I, I will say this too, that um, the open Bible is is a good Bible. I, I wish they did not add any sort of study notes, but there's very few study notes. That's not really the purpose of it. The purpose of it is it's got a topical index in the front of it that's over 300 pages long. And um, that's really neat where you're going to find that topical indexes and things like that come in handy is if you're preparing a lesson or if you're studying a certain subject. Uh, If you're preparing a lesson, a topical index is essential. And there's also a Naves topical uh, Bible. Have have you ever seen that? And and it's pretty cool because it takes the whole Bible and it'll give you like the verses. But let's just say it'll say grace. Uh, and of course, they'll bring up something like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you save through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works as any mention boast. And so it'll it'll have that, and then it'll have another one, you know, uh, about grace and another verse about grace. And it actually arranges the whole Bible by by topical uh, subject. And I don't even know if that's still in print or not. Do you know, Brother Ross? I'm not sure, but I would think so. I mean, I know we use the term back in the day it was very very popular so i i don't know i'm sure they're still floating around out there yeah it probably is um another thing too is it's it's kind of cool to have a um a resource that dates now again we're, we're getting into man's opinion okay but uh like the schofield one thing i like about it is it has dates in the center column and they're conservative dates so they're based on like usher's uh, chronology and uh, he has a very conservative view. So he would be like a uh, relatively new earth, um, you know, uh, no evolution, right. um, on and on Which and I on. Have, and, I have Usher's book, by the way, The Annals of the World. That's That, that book's available out there. It's kind of interesting to read through. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing we didn't uh, mention was uh, study of maps. Yes. Yes, that is and, good. Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you uh, a resource for this. Um, and again, you know, it's not everything is, is perfect in it, but um, there is a new Bible out there called the Filament Bible. And let me give you the basics of what it is. So it is a, it's a Bible that comes in print form, okay? And uh, it's pretty cheap. You can get it for about 20, 30 bucks uh, in imitation leather. And it's just the Bible, but it has these little symbols up at the top and you can actually download an app and you scan it with your phone like at the top of the page yes. and it, it, it does give commentary but it gives character studies it gives uh interactive maps that's what i love about it that's so it. let's just say um i want to I, I, I read a verse about jesus being born in bethlehem hmm, i wonder what the the information on bethlehem is so i'll scan it with my phone and i'll go to to see there's a thing in the app that says you can do study uh read and see and if you click on C, uh, you pull it up and, and like you could pull up a map so you could scan in on Bethlehem. You click on it and it'll give you the history behind Bethlehem. Some of the uh, familiar passages of like Bethlehem throughout the Bible, prophecies about it, events that happen there. It's really cool. So 
I will say that's a good resource. I've found several things out just from doing that. I think one of the things I was uh, studying there was, uh, uh, you know, where it talks about uh, in the in the book of uh, uh, John, where Jesus went and he visited Mary, Martha and Lazarus. All right. And uh, I got to study in Bethany and found out that it was actually lower class and it was a small town. And really, there was no reason for Jesus to continually keep going back there. But he went there because of the love uh, that he had for them. And so he, he loved the fact, you know, pastors preached about that before. He loved that Mary would worship him, that Martha would serve him and that Lazarus would sit and talk with him. And, and I'm, I'm, it, I'm, it, you, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, brother. Um, it, it, it made something think of me when I was studying that. I was, uh, the Easter story, I think, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but this is this is where study comes in. You th you think something, you know what? I need to go check that out. But I think Bethany was pretty close to Jerusalem, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And and so it was it was easy for him to leave Jerusalem, go back to Bethany there to spend time with the people he loved, and then get back to Jerusalem. But, yeah, I just found it. I found it interesting that you know it really wasn't a place that most people would want to stop. Yeah. Uh, right of town and they probably lived in poor housing and, and all of that. So it definitely wasn't the atmosphere that kept drawing Jesus back. It was their their love and friendship and worship uh, and yeah. service unto him. So anyways, I, I find, you know, and they, they present an interesting combination of, you know, Jesus wants somebody to sit and talk with him. Jesus does want somebody to serve him, but ultimately Jesus wants somebody to worship him. And uh, anyways, it's just a lot of, but what my point in saying that was you can get a whole lot out of studying the word of the Look Lord yeah. and, and looking at maps and things like yeah. that. Um, right. The Thompson chain again has great maps in it. Yes, it does. And so, it's got so, a great archeological uh, section too. Yeah, it does. Now, the only thing I'll say about that is some of it is a little bit out of date because um, right. Right. obviously it's been a while since it's been updated. I think they've done what five revisions. What The, yeah, the one that most people have today would be the fifth revision. Yeah. You'd want to get the newest one possible, but there is, there is some good stuff in there. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, kind of, I mean, getting back to the basics, you know, we, where we've ex expanded on this thought of, of a uh, Bible study and, you know, and I'm thinking in terms of, of beginners or people that just want a fresh approach. I mean, get back to the basics of Bible prayer, uh, a, a pen and a notebook. And, uh, I think it's if people take the time to do that and use a few of these resources that I think they'll, <laughs> That they will be they will be amazingly blessed by what God will will show them in the Word of God and help them to understand things. It's you know sometimes when you take the time to to study and write things down and then when and then when when a man of God preaches it's you know what he's talking about because you've taken the time to read it and, and not just read it but study it. Yes, and um, if you apply some of the basic things we mentioned here today, I think it'll be tremendous of tremendous benefit. Now. Um, Brother Ross, if you have anything else to add, uh, I'll open it up for you. I was going to try to actually pick out a passage in the Bible, and I'm going to apply some of like the, the study principles that I mentioned and see what we come up with. But do you have anything to add before I get into that? No, I, I cover the points that was in my mind at this point. Of course, when we get off, I'll think a half a dozen more, but that's that'll cover it for right now. Uh, just a little bit of biblical history sometime. And it's just, there's so many different ways to study, but I think it's good to just start with the basics and then expand from there. Kind of like, you know, we've done here today. We start, started with basics and started expanding, but just throwing out some tips and hints for people that might, you know, want to get started or, or improve their Bible study habits. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
Um, okay, so I'm going to actually look at a passage in the Bible, and our passage is going to be Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Brother Ross, you can jump in at any point you want to. I think Brother Eric might be joining us at some point. Uh, whether he does or not, that, that's okay. He's busy right now. But um, if he does jump in, I'm going to just hand the floor to him and let him give his two cents on this. But um, I'm going to take this passage, and, and I'm just going to, you know, I, I did a study on it, and I used some of the principles I mentioned. <clears throat> but the passage is uh, <laughs> well. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that's for uh, theatrics. Theatrical effect yeah, yeah. is free of charge. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at any point, you know, if you need to go, I, I understand that. But, um, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on with me here, Brother Ross. It's a tremendous help to me. But anyways, I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32 real quick. Um, and I'm just going to read this and then we're going to look at what it what it means. OK, so Jesus said this. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So this passage is frightening to say the least. And yeah. I've, I've heard many people say that, you know, they fear that they've committed the unpardonable sin. So it would behoove us to look into what blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is. And let me just say this, the best commentary on scripture is another scripture. Um, and so I'm going to do a scriptural based study on this. We'll use a few other resources, but primarily we're going to be using the word of the Lord to interpret this passage and find out what it means. So first of all, <clears throat> let me approach it this way. I mentioned contextual study. We're going to look at the overall context. So what's the overall context? First thing is you, you need to know this is the book of Matthew. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He used to be a tax collector. Jesus said, follow me. He left his tax booth. He followed Jesus. His audience was the Jews. He's writing to Jews and he's trying to convince them that Jesus is the Christ. He paints Jesus as a king. He paints Jesus as Lord. He paints him as the Messiah. Um, and so that is his primary focus. Now, another thing you need to know is the Jews' primary stumbling block was Jesus being God in the flesh, Jesus being the Messiah. John 10, 32-33 says, Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Romans 10, 1 through 4 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I'm for they being You're okay. <laughs> for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So we, we see through these passages here that the Jews resisted Jesus as the Christ uh, because of blindness. The Bible actually says that they were blind. Uh, we find that this blindness, in many cases, was willing blindness due to political aspirations. Thus, this would be the Pharisees' problem. So the Pharisees are the audience of Jesus' words. Now, we've looked at the overall context. Um, in a minute, we're going to get into the immediate context, but this is where character study would come into play. 
Okay, so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Let's look at what the Pharisees uh, believe. Who were they? What did they believe? The Pharisees, this comes from a, a Bible uh, dictionary here. The Pharisees resided primarily in Jerusalem, uh, but you can also see Luke 5, 17. But were, they were divided into at least three schools. They were the disciples of Shammai, Hillel, and Gamaliel. These schools were especially concerned about the proper administration of the temple. The disciples of Shammai, who represented the more conservative wing of the group, were dominant uh, before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. But Hillel, representing a more liberal interpretation of the Jewish scriptures, had moved from Babylon to Jerusalem about a generation before Jesus and gained wide influence as well. Gamaliel, the son or grandson of Hillel, was a renowned teacher of the law in Jerusalem. The apostle Paul had been a disciple of Gamaliel. You can read that in Acts 22.3. Gamaliel is remembered for his wisdom, Acts 5.34, and careful management of the Jewish calendar. So these three schools attempted to shape the religious life of the ordinary Jew through the dissemination of their traditions. You can read Matthew 23, 15, Mark 7, 1 through 13. We'll get into some of that here in a minute. Um, and then also Josephus uh, mentioned some things about them. Galilee was also a part of their mission. Uh, there was actually a, a renowned uh, Pharisaical scholar that was teaching at the same time as Jesus. So they, they were strict adherents to the law. Uh, they accepted the entirety of the Old Testament as their scriptures, as opposed to the Sadducees. The Sadducees only accepted the first five books. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they only accepted the writings of Moses, but the Pharisees accepted all of it. That's why they believed in resurrection. They believe in angels because they accepted the, the entirety of the Old Testament. But um, their problem was that they were such strict adherents to it uh, that oftentimes they would take and they would add to the scriptures. So um, they did believe in the scriptures. That was good. That was the good part about the Pharisees. Uh, but, you know, one thing I will say, let me say this real quick. Um, it's interesting to me how you can read that some of the Pharisees believed. You can read that later on in the book of Acts. Also, Paul was a Pharisee. I don't read anywhere where some of the Sadducees were saved. No. And so I do find that kind of interesting. I think, uh, <laughs> let me just throw this in here. That's why it's so essential to believe in the word of God. Um, and to approach it with a literalness because uh, you find there's a modern trend toward people taking the word of the Lord and putting their own opinions to it saying, ah, this passage is for us today. This one isn't because of context. Uh, you know, this doesn't belong in the word of the Lord because it's not found in this manuscript. And, you know, I don't think all of it's inspired. In fact, they took a poll and they found that I think it was under 50% of evangelical Christians even believe that the Bible is infallible anymore. Wow. And uh, I'll just say, you know, Jesus didn't even have a starting point with the Fer with the Sadducees because they didn't even believe the scripture. So at least the Pharisees believed the scripture. And right. uh, that's why I think that Peter and uh, Paul and some of the other disciples were able to convert certain members of the Pharisees because they had a literal approach to the word of the Lord. So I had just kind of an interesting little side note there. But um, they we find out that they added many things to their uh, to the scriptures because of traditions. And uh, now that we've gotten a brief overview of the characters themselves, let's look at some of the things said about the Pharisees in Scripture. <clears throat> so Matthew 3, 7 through 10 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, this is John the Baptist, by the way, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring their, therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
So here we find that the Pharisees were proud of their heritage. They prided themselves on the righteousness of their father Abraham, and they thought this gave them particular favor with God. In John 8, 13, Jesus spoke of the Pharisees. He spoke to them. Later in the passage, Jesus said these words. This is John 8, 30, uh, 38. Uh, it says, I speak that which I have seen of my father, and you do that which you have seen of your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that had told you the truth, uh, which I have heard of God. Thus, this did not Abraham. You do the works of your father. Then said they unto him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father, the devil. Whoa. Uh, now, <clears throat> I'm going to stop here to say this is very important uh, in studying the passage we're going to get into. Notice he says that the Pharisees were of their father, the devil. And if you want to be assured that he's speaking of the Pharisees, just back up to verse 13. The audience here was the Pharisees. He said, you are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh the lie, speaketh his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So this will shed light on the passage in Matthew 12. We'll come back to it. Uh, they were speaking words inspired by their father, the devil. The devil moved them to accuse Jesus of casting out devils by Beelzebub. I think that's, that's an important point. So uh, in Matthew 15, I'm not going to actually take time to read it. Uh, Jesus mentioned the fact that the Pharisees were making void the commandments of God through their traditions. Specifically, he was speaking about, uh, you know, them talking about the, the gift. If you could say that it, it belongs to my father and mother because Scripture actually says, honor your father and mother. And you look at that, that's speaking of monetary uh, as well as uh, physical respect. It was speaking of when your parents get old. Uh, it's the will of God for you to supply their need to take care of them. They took care of you when you were young. You need to take care of them when they're old. And that's part of what the word honor means. Just if you don't believe that, look it up for yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. But Jesus said that the Pharisees are actually saying, oh, no, if you say that money's dedicated to God, then you don't have to give it to your parents. So he said, you, you made void the commandments of God through your tradition. So that's found in Matthew 15, one through nine. Um, another uh portion of scripture to read, and I'm not going to take time to read it for the sake of time, but Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. He calls them fools and blind. He calls them whited sepulchers. Uh, part of the reason why is because they were devouring widows' houses. They were laying burdens on men that they would not help them bear, and they were actually transgressing against God's word by their traditions and opinions. They cared about appearing spiritual more than actually being spiritual. So they were abusing their authority he said they sit in Moses' seat. Uh, he said all things that they command you and teach, you know, do and observe them, but don't do after their works. So they were saying it. They weren't living it. Uh, and then, so we, we could, I could get into more of that. Brother Ross, you have anything to add at this point? No, that, was a, that was a good example of, of the way to study in a particular passage of Scripture, and there's some key, key words in there. Uh, blasphemy, obviously, you can look that up. It means evil speaking, and and then yeah. using. I'm, I'm going to actually get into the word study here in just a minute, but but go uh, ahead. Yeah. I'm not trying yeah. to interrupt you. Yeah. No, no, I got I got you. But the and then the contextual. The the other thing too, I, I was thinking, especially on a on a subject like this, and especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
they're they're the same story can can oftentimes be recorded in one of the other gospels or or two or three of the other gospels and it's a good idea to refer to those also uh, because the the Matthew the 12 uh, 31 and 32 is, is the same stories recorded in Mark chapter chapter 3 28 and 29 and uh, correct yeah so by reading you know parallel passages of scripture on the same story it helps illuminate some things too and in the, the context obviously uh, you know Jesus there was a person that was possessed of the devil he was blind and couldn't speak Jesus healed him he got his eyesight back the devil was cast out and the and you mentioned the Pharisees back to the Pharisees they were the ones that began to say oh he's casting out devils by Beelzebub and then Jesus begins this discourse uh, you know, and, and you mentioned it earlier about when you're studying a passage of Scripture for context, read several verses before. And, and yes, know, that, that is actually my next point here. OK, um, well, I'm on target. Then. <laughs> no, you're, yeah, you're on target. Right. Uh, because yeah, the, the third thing I, I mentioned, the character. So I'll just say this real quick. I mentioned the uh, the overall context. So so far, we've looked at the overall context. Then we went to character study. and We looked at who the Pharisees were. So the audience of who's speaking. Okay, right. uh, to who he's speaking to. But the third thing would be immediate context. And uh, this would be where you actually like highlight this passage and look into yes. the paragraph marker. So if you look into like, for instance, the Thompson chain has the Pilcrow marker. So if you look at the Pilcrow marker, it actually starts on verse 22 and right. you'll see it ends on verse 38 or it ends with verse 37. So a new paragraph starts with verse 38. Right. So. What we read here is, then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil. Now, you already mentioned this, so I'm not going to take time to read it. But basically, a devil was cast out. The Pharisee stepped forward. He said, oh, he cast out devils by the prince of devils. Okay? So uh, Jesus responds to them in, in this way. And uh, let me back up here a little bit and get the, uh, the full thing. Let's see. Um, let's start with verse 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. So uh, apparently Jesus wasn't the only one. And I, I, I don't really like using this word, but let's just use it for the sake of, because most people understand what it is practicing exorcism. So, he wasn't the only one casting out devils. I'll put it that way. Okay. Right. Exorcism, that's kind of become a Catholic term of sorts. Uh, I understand what it means, but you often hear it associated with Catholics, but we'll just say cast out devils. So he wasn't the only one casting out devils. That's kind of an interesting fact, by the way. But um, he says, so if you condemn me, you've condemned them. But then he goes on to say this. If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else, how can one man enter into a, a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Then he says, verse 31, he says, wherefore. Now that word wherefore, one man said it this way. When you see the word wherefore, find out what it's there for. <laughs> so it says wherefore, which means because of this, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Now, notice he's saying, wherefore, because, because of this, what's he, what's he saying? Back up. Because of what you said, he's bringing attention to something. He said, wherefore, because I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy 
Okay, we're going to look at that in just a second. The blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, remember what I said earlier, that uh, Jesus in another passage said, you are of your father, the devil. Mm-hmm. And so what they said revealed what was going on in their heart. It revealed the inspiration behind what they they were saying here. Okay. He says, but I say unto you that every idle word, this is verse 36, that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Here's the end of the context, verse 37, or the end of the paragraph. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. So we discover the context involves Jesus casting out a devil, the Pharisees' accusation that Jesus was possessed, casting out devils by the power of the devil. Now remember, they were accusing Jesus from a heart filled with the devil, John 8, 44, so by speaking against Jesus, they were condemning themselves. Also, remember, their political aspirations blinded them to Jesus's identity. Also, note the motivation behind it was jealousy. They were jealous of Jesus because he was still in their crowd. So Jesus pointed out the seriousness of their accusation. He warned them that this accusation against the Holy Ghost could condemn them for eternity. So they, they were speaking from an evil heart, verses 34 through 35. They would give an account on the day of judgment for every idle word, verses 36 through 37. Okay, now we've, we've looked at the context. We've looked at the overall context. We've looked at the characters involved. We've looked at the immediate context. Now I want to move on to word study, okay? And, and this is going to be a very, very important study. You're going to see that this will illuminate the passage a lot. Now, as I was reading through this today, something jumped out of me, Brother Ross, I've never seen before. Isn't it amazing how that happens? Yeah, <laughs> you all can the read time. Over and over and over again, and something will jump out to you. This sure. was interesting to me. And somebody might think I'm make, making a mountain out of a molehill. But remember, all scriptures given by inspiration, God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. So um, every word is important. So watch this. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy. Okay, what does the word blasphemy mean? So Thayer's definition means slander, detraction, speech injurious to another's good name. It means impious and reproachful speech injurious to divine majesty. The English word blasphemy means irreverence for God, insulting God, or showing a lack of, of contempt or reverence. Okay. It is clearly something that we say, because verse 32 says, Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. One thing I'm going to point out real quick, and we'll come back to this later, but you can't do this in ignorance. Not if I read my Bible correctly. 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13, this is Paul writing. He said this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly yeah. and unbelief. So this is not something you can do in ignorance, okay? If you're going to blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, because, you know, you, my grandpa used to think blaspheming the Holy Ghost was shaking your fist at the sky and saying, God, I hate you, you know, whatever. But then he was surprised when a man prayed through to the Holy Ghost that had done that very thing. And uh, he thought, well, I guess it's not what I, 
what I thought it was. So he went and started studying it more in depth. Uh, my point is, you know, before we came to God, all of us railed uh, and did things against the Lord. We showed irreverence. So it, it's, it goes beyond this, yes. what I'm saying. But there's something, there's an interesting little phrase in here that is often missed. I want to I show you this, okay? Watch this. Again, verse 32, I'm going to read it real slow. Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But watch this. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost. Notice it doesn't say speaketh a word against the Holy Ghost. It says, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Now, if you take and you tie this verse in with the last verse, it's not just saying something, it's actually blaspheming, showing irreverence for, railing against God, okay? But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, um, I, I want to just point this, this out real quick. Let's. So Jesus said, the good news here is that all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. So, Because, you know, we, we often read this verse of Scripture, we kind of ignore the good part of it. Yeah. <laughs> he said all manner of sin and blasphemy. So there's a certain type of blasphemy that can be forgiven. He said, shall be forgiven unto men. And then verse 32, he said, whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it, it shall be forgiven him. So as long as they're talking about that fleshly aspect, because you find out they actually said that that uh, Jesus was gluttonous, a wine bibber. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, were some of the people that said those things forgiven? Yes. Paul, uh, news to everybody, you know, Paul out there spoke a lot of things against Jesus, yet he was forgiven. Uh, Brother Ross, you got anything to add yet? No, good. I'm taking it all in. Um, but I, I will say this is the way to do you're in my opinion, you may not think so, but in my opinion, this is the way to do a really in-depth Bible study, not just, not just a, a word you you've taken one pack passage. You've done a contextual Bible study. You've done character Bible study. You're doing word Bible study and all, you know, yeah, this is a good example covering the whole ball of wax, so to speak. That's that's what I thought would be interesting because um, we've talked on here about how to study the Bible, but I just thought it'd be interesting to take a passage that's hotly debated and actually apply all of these things to show people, you know, how it's done. Again, I'm not yeah. putting myself up as the ultimate Bible student, you know, and trying to say, hey, do as I do. Um, approach this, you know, the way that God deals with you to approach it. I'm just using some of the methods I would use if I was preaching a message or teaching a lesson or just trying to study something to understand it better for myself. Um, <clears throat> something that's interesting, Jesus said, whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Uh, now, let me just say this. If you speak against a man, you can be forgiven, okay? Um, you know, pastors are often criticized and men of God are often criticized, but you need to be careful just because you can be forgiven for this doesn't mean it's not a serious sin. Right. Let, let me give you an illustration. Matthew 5, 22 says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. But whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. That word Raka means empty-headed. So you're basically calling him, you know, you're, you're, you don't have a mind. You're an idiot. But whosoever shall say thou fool... And now to say somebody's a fool is an interesting accusation. If, if you look at the word fool in scripture, and I haven't really studied the Greek word behind that, 
But I, I know the Hebrew word in the Old Testament says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So to call somebody a fool could be tantamount to saying basically they're lost. Thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So that's a serious accusation. Um, so you need to be careful about what you say about people. You may be forgiven, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have to stand before God for what you say. Uh, that's I'll, I'll just bring that right. out. So so let, let me return to this here, though, to the immediate context. We've looked at the word blasphemy. We've discovered what it, it, that it means to rail against or to show contempt for. Now I want to move on to another type of study, which would be parallel passage study. Uh, I mentioned a verse earlier. I'm going to go back to it real quick. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 13, this is where Paul talks about himself being a blasphemer. He says, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So this shows that uh, you cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost in an unforgivable way in ignorance. Otherwise, Paul would have been guilty. I'm sorry, you hear my daughter in the background. <laughs> um, but let's look at another parallel passage. So when you're looking at parallel passages, what are you looking for? You're looking for scriptures that deal with a similar theme or a similar subject. So here, we're going to be looking for parallel passages that deal with somebody that steps beyond the line, that goes too far for God to forgive, okay? And so one of the verses that might come to mind is the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6, uh, where it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands. I'm going to skip down here a little bit. It says, this is what we do if God permit. And then in verse 4, he says, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, uh, have you ever read this and had questions about it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think a key word there, though, is if. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's a good point. It's a good yeah. point. If they shall fall away. Yeah. Um, but if they shall fall away, that's not just speaking of a one-time sin. Right. Because notice he says fall away. He said it's impossible to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Again, context is everything. Uh, I'll, I'll give a quick breakdown of this, and I'm not wanting to take all day on this. I know we've already been on here a while, but um, the overall context is the writer of Hebrews, which I believe was Paul, was writing to Hebrews, which was Jewish Christians. These are people that had left Judaism uh, and had turned toward Jesus Christ or had left, you know, whatever. Uh, some of them may have not been strict, uh, you know, Pharisees, Sadducees, you know, Essenes, whatever the group was they were involved with, Zealots, you know, those are some of the major groups. A lot of them didn't believe, belong to any of those organizations. But let's just say these are Jews, okay? So, but some had turned away from strict Judaism and they had turned to Jesus and, and they, they were a testimony as such, right? Um, and so he's writing to them, and, and the overall context is they're facing persecution from their Jewish brethren because they've turned toward Jesus. And uh, they're being heavily persecuted. And as a result, some of them are being tempted to turn around. And uh, I, I've said this before, but I think if there was one uh, phrase I'd like to tack onto the book of Hebrews to understand it better, it would be this, it's too late to turn around. Because what he's telling those Jewish Christians is, hey, um, you've already come out from Judaism. You know that's not right. If you turn around now and you go back just to save yourself from persecution, this is a very serious fallacy. Okay? And what he's saying is, if, you, if you've been enlightened, okay, so you've received the revelation. That's what that word enlightened means. 
You've tasted the heavenly gift. We're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. You got the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking another tongue. You've tasted the good word of God. You've had apostolic preaching preached to you, okay? And the powers of the world to come. You've seen miracles. You've seen signs and wonders, all of these things. He said, if, if, if you have all of that and you fall away and you go to apostasy and you go to something else, uh, you know, to make provision for your flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof because you, you're tired of persecution. And he said, if you fall away from the truth, because so, if you look at that word fall away, um, what you'll find out is oftentimes it's used in context of somebody falling away from the totality of the truth and turning to apostasy. He said, if they shall fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Why? He says, seeing they crucified themselves the son of God afresh and they put him to an open shame. You're telling all those Jews that Jesus is a lie. True. Yeah. And he, he says, how could you be renewed to repentance? You're believing a lie. Okay. Uh, another passage to look at would be second Thessalonians <laughs> 10 through 12. And quickly, I'll just tell you the context here is the antichrist setting himself up and the throne of God. Um, uh, he sets himself up as God and he tells us about the people that are going to be deceived. Second Thessalonians 2, 10 and 10 through 12 says with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and then the perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved for this cause. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So here Paul is speaking of the coming of Antichrist, that he will exalt himself as God and many will be deceived. God will send them a strong delusion because they did not love the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So these passages re reveal how a person could go too far for God to reach. They know the truth, but they do not love it. And so God gives them a strong delusion. Th this might bring to mind Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, watch this, who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And somebody might say, well, the Bible tells us to hold the truth. It's not what that word means. It means to suppress it. It means to push it down. They refuse to let the truth uh, change them. They know it, but they refuse to let it change them. So notice the progression, verse 25, who changed the truth. So first of all, they hold the truth. They suppress it. They push it down. Now they're taking it and they're changing it. Or that word means actually exchanged. So who changed or exchanged the truth of God into a lie or for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So in, in you could read in verse number 20, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So they know who God is. They know he's the creator. But they suppress that truth because they don't like the effect it's going to have on their life. And then um, they change it or exchange it for a lie. Well, I don't like God's demands, so I'm going to go worship an idol. You see what I'm saying? That's what yep. Paul's talking about here. And then verse number 28, uh, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Okay? So, you know, this is something that's kind of interesting here. And, and you know, I'll, I'll get into that. But the word reprobate means debased. It means cast away. Mm -hmm. It means worthless. Right. So you might say, well, what does that have to do with the, the passage, Brother Mills? What does that have to do with it? Well, we've looked at people that went too far. How did they get to that place? They suppress the truth. They exchange it for a lie. Okay? They, they know it. Again, we're going back to it's not something you do in <laughs> ignorance. 
Now let's look at the, the, the go back to the passage. Let's think about the Pharisees. And uh, Brother Ross, maybe you want to give some input on this. I'll just say this real quick. The Pharisees, um, they knew God. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They believed them. I've already emphasized the fact that they believed it. Okay? They knew God. They believed in God. They believed in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The, the Shema. They believed it with every aspect of their being. They believed it. Okay? They knew God. Yet, here, God is in the flesh. And they're looking at God, who they supposedly worship, who they supposedly love, who they supposedly serve, and they're accusing him of being the devil. Wow. Yeah. How did they get to that place? Here's the answer. Mm -hmm. They're driven by political aspirations, a thirst and hungry for hunger for power. And because of this, Satan has moved in and filled their heart. And they're starting to believe a lie, Brother Ross. They've suppressed the truth and they're exchanging it. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? But as you study something like this, isn't this eye-opening? It's illuminating. Even while I was studying this today, I'm like, wow. Because, yes, I, I knew this, but as you approach it, it just gives you a fresh revelation of, okay, that's why they were saying it. And Jesus is warning them. Now, I, wanna, I want you to notice one thing, though, that is often not pointed out. Jesus did not say they had blasphemed the Holy Ghost. He's warning them, you're on dangerous ground. Right. And that's something that I think is an important point to point out. Because, um, you know, it, it, we could say, okay, they blasphemed the Holy Ghost with what they did. He's warning them, you're on dangerous ground right now, Pharisees. You're accusing me of doing this by the devil. You've gone beyond just criticizing my person and calling me a wine bibber and calling me gluttonous. Now you're saying I'm full of the devil when actually I'm doing this by the Spirit of God. You got something to add to that, Brother Ross? That's exactly what Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 3 in the same same setting when he's speaking about blasphemy. When he gets to verse 29 in Mark chapter 3, he says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness but is in danger of eternal damnation. That's exactly what Jesus says. You're in danger. Yes, exactly what he said. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought out that scripture. Um, now, we, we've looked at it, and I've got a lot more in my notes. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use all of it just for the sake of time. Um, but I, I, let me just say this. We do know that some of the Pharisees repented. Acts 15.5 says, but there rose up certain sect of the Pharisees which believed. So some right. of the Pharisees did believe. Yes. Some came to the faith. So that tells us they didn't blaspheme specifically on that day. They were they were in danger of it. Right. Jesus is warning them. Uh, and he's trying to tell them, hey, and, and then he goes on to say, remember now, remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3? Um, he said that uh, in, in that passage, he said, oh, generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Then he goes down to verse number 10. He says, and now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Return to what Jesus said. Okay, Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his, and his fruit corrupt. But the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye be being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That Remember what I said earlier? He said, ye are of your father, the devil. They were proving that by what they were saying. They were revealing by the fruit on their tree, who their father was. Mm -hmm. And in, Matthew, in, in uh, John the Baptist warned 
the Pharisees, he said, hey, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Yep. The kingdom of God is at hand. He said, you better repent because if you don't produce good fruit, he's going to cut you off. And what he's saying is, Pharisees, you've been set up in a position of power. God's about to lay his ax to your root and you're going to be cut off. And look, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, there was a period of space for repentance. But we find out in AD 70, God judged Jerusalem. Over a million Jews died when Titus came in and they desecrated the temple and not one stone was left on another, just like Jesus said. And hey, look, the Pharisees, even while some, you know, existed after that point, it was never the same. And uh, they were judged. Yes. God gave them a space for repentance. And so, okay, now we, we, we've looked at all of these different things, but let me get to the most important part of studying the word of God. All of this is meaningless if you don't apply it. Apply it. <laughs> Practical application. Yeah. How does, this, it, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? I like what one man said. When you study the Bible, you need to look at uh, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? Right. Yep. So that's, a, that's a good approach to the Bible. But let's apply this passage. So what does it mean for us? Most important part of studying Scripture is applying it. James 1, 22 through 25, be you doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He goes on to say, uh, if you look into the perfect law of liberty and then you go and continue the way you've been living, you're like a man that looks at his face. The natural glass doesn't change one thing about his appearance. So um, if you have received the truth, hold on to it. Uh, reverence yes. it. Love yes. it. Embrace it. Hebrews 3, 6, uh, it says, uh, hold firm unto this hope unto the end. Uh, hold fast the confidence. Hebrews 3, 14, it says, uh, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast in the end. Hebrews 4, 14, let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast our profession. So over and over, the scripture commands us to hold the truth tightly. So do not treat the truth flippantly. Don't harden your hearts through the uh, deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3, 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, that means to, again, how do you harden your heart? You resist God in his, in his conviction. You, allow, you refuse to allow it to work in your, in your life. Hebrews 7.51, Stephen talking to, uh, again, Pharisees, political leaders. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist. The word resist means to fight against. So you always fight against the Holy Ghost. So uh, this sears your conscience after a while. 1 Timothy 4.1-2. Watch this. Now, Brother Ross, I thought this was good today. I, I've never seen this quite in this light before. When mm -hmm. you take and you, and you put these two passages side by side, watch this. He says, 1 Timothy 4.1-2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. <clears throat> so notice the progression. They give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Remember I told you the Pharisees, because of their blindness to the truth, their willing blindness due to political aspirations, they gave heed to the devil, right? Okay, and it says, so they give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. How does this affect them? Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Jesus over and over called the Pharisees uh, hypocrites. Hypocrites. So they give heed to the seducing spirits and that drives them to speak lies and hypocrisy. And they do this because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. So when you take an iron, you, you iron out the wrinkles, right? 
So these wrinkles, if I can put it this way, in your conscience are what causes you to be convicted of sin. The more you resist, the more you keep ironing out those wrinkles, that resistance to your sin. So then finally you get to the place you can sin without remorse. It's a scary place yeah. to be. Uh, yeah, therein, therein lies the, <clears throat> the problem. And, and you've talked about progression of things here. And you mentioned early on about some, some people think, oh, I believe I've blasphemed the Holy Ghost. The backsliding in itself is not blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Uh, yes, the Bible the Bible does talk about, uh, you know, the dog eating, going back to its vomit and the pig wallowing in the mire. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a level of, <clears throat> you know, back, the backsliding. But what you're talking about, and, and by the way, this this is a Bible, this is a, this is a Bible study uh, given as an example of how to do a Bible study. So it's pretty, it's pretty unique. It's pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> so backsliding in, in itself. But the danger, when we talk about danger, when you've mentioned these passages of Scripture that talk about a progression of things, I, I have seen many backsliders that absolutely won't say a word against the church. They won't say a word against the pastor. They won't say anything against uh, the Word of God. The, and I see those people have the greatest <clears throat> hope of making it back to an altar of prayer and repentance and getting themselves right with God than those that start going... Uh, to places that don't preach the truth, they start believing lies, and then the uh, the word of God becomes none effect in their life at that point. So, but good back point. That's let me let me say this real quick, um, and I say this for a reason, Brother Ross. I don't mean to interrupt you. I, I I'll oh, no, let you good. have it right back here in just a second. But um, that is the danger in you say, well, I'm just I'm just going because of a friend, or I'm going because a family member goes to that church. But I know it's not the truth. Mm. Here's a problem. The more you attend a place like that, the more you become susceptible to deceiving Watch. spirits mm -hmm. and doctrines of devils. Uh, you know, a lot of times being seduced doesn't happen overnight, Brother Ross. No. Seduction uh, is, is something you read about the immoral woman in Proverbs chapter, uh, what is that? I think it's six or no, it's seven, isn't it? Is it seven? Uh, I think it's Proverbs 7 talks yeah. about the immoral woman. The young man went near her corner. He went at twilight. He was there at the yeah. wrong place, the wrong time. Uh, he's in the, you know, and, and, she, and she, through a process, sedu seduces him. And it took an amount of words and certain things she said and did. And then she says, hey, I've offered <laughs> peace offerings. So she's saying, I'm spiritual here, uh, you know, it, which is funny. It's ironic. But anyways, my point is this. I mean, the more you attend a place like that, the more you're susceptible to that seduction. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that was kind of a point, you know, to go back to what you said in the beginning that some people, you know, some backsliders, some kind of, I, I can't get back to God. I, I know I blasphemed the Holy ghost, you know, and, and, and they may have said something about all oh, that pastor said this or the church, somebody at the church said that. And, and the devil would want to make, beat them down to think, well, you blaspheme, you're, you can never be forgiven. You're on your way to hell. But there's a difference between, between that, um, that, that level of backsliding and then getting to the realm of believing uh, lies, listening to seducing spirits. But, but by the same token, when you backslide, you are, you are getting on dangerous ground. I, so, I sometimes teach a lesson called stepping stones to sin. You, you can take a step uh, in attitude and behavior, that's not sin, but you can take another, take a hit another stepping stone. It's not sin, 
but you hit enough of them stepping stones and you're, you're going to be like lot, you're heading in the wrong direction. So, so anyway, there for backsliders out there. You there, brother Ross. Thank it. Uh, it says you mu muted it. So maybe you come back on here and say it. Let me see if I can, if I can unmute you. Come on, just hit me all at once here. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It muted you for okay, a second. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got some calls and things coming in, but, uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll just sum it up and I'll, I may have to jump off here, but thank you, brother Mills for taking the time to, uh, to talk about how to study the Bible today. If some of you just jumped on a little later in the broad podcast, uh, go back to the beginning. We've basically been talking about, uh, different ways of studying the Bible and, you know, start, start with baby steps, you know, do character studies, do a word studies. And we've just taken some, taken some time here to give an example of how to do a Bible study, uh, contextual parallel passages, so on and so forth. But a uh, great example today. And, and again, thank you, Brother Mills. Uh, sure thing. Uh, the only other thing I was going to say in closing here is uh, the very last form of study I would say would be uh, to look into a commentary yes. And I, I found one little thing here I thought was good. I didn't use any other commentary in any of this or even any helps just other than just looking at the word of the Lord in, in one Bible dictionary at one point and, of course, word studies. But um, I found this. I thought this was pretty good. It says these sins are kind of in connection with blasphemy. They said are blasphemy, but I, I would say in connection with lying or tempting the Holy Ghost. Acts 5, 4, 9. That's where Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy right. Ghost. Number two, despising, Hebrews 10, 29. Uh, number three, resisting or striving with, Genesis 6, 3. He says, my spirit shall not strive with men. Uh, Acts 7, 51. Uh, also, vexing or grieving, Isaiah 63, 10. Ephesians 4, 30. Uh, grieve not the Holy Ghost. Number five, quenching, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Quench the Holy Ghost. So uh, that's the end of the commentary. I just thought that was an interesting little point. My own words, again, I'll just end with this. It says, uh, this is what I was going to say. How do you keep from blaspheming the Holy Ghost? Buy the truth and don't sell it. Proverbs 23, 23. Obey the truth. Galatians 3, 1, 5, 7. Hold on to the truth. Hebrews 10, 23. Love the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10. If you do these things, you will never blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Good. Awesome. So that's what that's what I'll end with. Uh, Brother Ross, thank you for stepping on here and helping me out. Um, usually a lot of times we don't have a lot of people live, but they go back and listen to it later. Uh, and I know we've kind of come on in a unique time today, but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, I wish brother, uh, Beeman could have joined us, but maybe we'll hear from him a little bit later, but, uh, thank you, brother Ross for coming in here. Good enough. Thank you, brother Mills. We'll talk to you later. God bless. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in and, uh, tune in to, uh, Bible one one Also, if you have any questions, email us, uh, that is uh, Bible T Tabernacle 29 at gmail.com. If you got any questions, again, that's Bible T Tabernacle 29 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Bible 101 podcast. Please email us with any questions or let us know what you think at Bible T Tabernacle 29 at gmail.com. That's Bible T Tabernacle 29 at gmail.com. Leave a comment to let us know what you think and maybe give us some ideas for future episodes. We hope you continue to listen.